The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Hi, my name is Dan Dick, and this is Church Matters. The text I just read is from Jeremiah 31. God is about to make the people of Israel a treaty people by making a new covenant with them, replacing the previously broken covenant. But what is a treaty person in our present-day context? Who is a treaty person? What does it mean, and why should it matter? Two guests are joining me today to talk about these questions in the context of First Nations and immigrant people to North America, or as Indigenous people call this land, Turtle Island. Stan McKay is a member of the Fisher River Cree Nation in Manitoba, a spiritual leader, teacher, and activist. From 1992 to 1994, he served as the first Aboriginal moderator of the United Church of Canada. Along with fellow members of the National Native Council of the United Church, Stan successfully advocated for the Church's apology issued in 1986 for its role in the cultural oppression of First Nations peoples. Welcome here, Stan. Thank you, Dan. Melanie Campen describes herself as a Mennonite settler from Treaty 1 territory in Winnipeg, Manitoba. She's just completed a master's thesis on the colonial nature of Western Christianity. Melanie's interest in Indigenous justice issues in Canada began when she joined a Mennonite Church Manitoba partnership circle in 2006, through which she connected with Métis and First Nations communities at Matheson Island and Pongasi First Nation in Manitoba. She's committed to working locally to educate settlers on Canada's history of colonialism and ongoing injustice towards Indigenous peoples. Welcome, Melanie. Thank you, Dan. Dan, let's start with you. How would you describe a treaty person from your perspective? Treaty person, um, I've come to learn, includes everyone in Canada. The nature of treaty making uh, that makes me a treaty Indian is that I'm in relationship with everyone who is here on this land. And uh, as a member of the Fisher River First Nation, I uh, have certain rights and privileges, and I also have responsibilities. And I think that rings true for all of the society. And so my understanding of treaty as covenant uh, means that in the making of treaties, Cree leadership in treaty making understood treaties to be about coming to agreements between the Crown and the First Nations and the Creator. So treaty making was tripartite. The government negotiators may not have understood that, but We've always understood treaty as covenant, which has no end. Melanie, you describe yourself as a Mennonite settler from Treaty 1 territory. You're also a young woman of white European ancestry. Do you consider yourself a treaty person? I do identify myself as a treaty person. 
And why is that? Um, well, I'm a first-generation Canadian, so both my parents immigrated to Canada. Uh, I've always felt very rooted in their stories, especially the history of the Mennonites, who moved from the Netherlands and northern Germany to Prussia, uh, and then to Paraguay during the Second World War, and finally to Canada. So I grew up hearing many stories from this part of my Mennonite history. I always thought of myself as part of that story. Uh, I never understood myself in any sort of ahistorical, individualistic way. My identity spanned generations. So when I began learning more about the colonization of these lands, where I live in Winnipeg, the treaties that were made and broken, I also began to see myself as part of that story, uh, which also spans generations. So even though my family wasn't there when Treaty 1 was made, and even though my family wasn't involved in residential schools personally, I can see how my people, Mennonite immigrants from Europe and Prussia, were then and still are complicit in the socioeconomic exploitation of Indigenous peoples and the land. It is in this Treaty 1 territory where I live, and it's here that multiple stories collide of our different histories and intersect and challenge each other, but can also build each other up. So that's how I've come to understand myself as a treaty person. Stan, you spent a lifetime bridging the Christian church and First Nations peoples. Are people more open to a conversation about treaties today than they were 30 or 40 years ago? I think there's growing awareness. I don't know that many people, this is speaking generally in Canada, are comfortable talking about treaties. I think there is little background and little information available, especially to people who are now adults. It may be that some of their children in the classrooms are becoming more aware, and they as adults may be more comfortable uh, living with some of the realities of treaty making and the historic treaties that are still binding. But uh, I think there's growth, gradual growth, but my understanding would, of the situation at the present is that there is still a great distance between many Canadians and many First Nations people. I know within the church context, there are many, many people that I speak with who don't feel comfortable going into First Nations territories and uh, being in conversation. There isn't a good relationship usually, and there isn't a high level of trust. It's troubling, especially because uh, host people, your ancestors, Stan, and settler people, Melanie's ancestors, were both promised a treaty of the same land. Yes, to live in the same territories. And I think the understanding of land ownership has always been an issue. It has biblical roots, the concept of owning a territory, having rights to certain lands. Um, has Say been more an issue. about those biblical roots. Well, uh, it just would seem that in biblical record, the... Uh, Going to the promised land in itself has an image that leads to the potential for colonial attitudes of taking over. So uh, the leadership of Moses to people, taking people into a land already occupied, is an old story. And I think that those stories um, go through scripture. There's conflict, there's uh, challenge to the children of Israel as to where they will make a home that uh, extends even to uh, to this day. So, uh, so I think our history of conflict over land and territory and the lack of understanding of the potential for sharing rights and privileges on the same land uh, is, is a very difficult concept when we have a fee simple concept 
of people owning a particular piece mm. and having rights to that area. Melanie, you've worked with uh, the Manitoba Partnership Circle since 2006. As a settler person yourself, what compels you to work at building bridges between host and settler peoples? Make your best case. When I identify myself as a treaty person, to me that means that I commit myself to a relationship of respect with all other living things. So that includes uh, all other people, non-human life forms, the land, the trees, the water, things that sustain our life here on earth. When I look around, I see so much brokenness, so much injustice, violence, exploitation in our world, and here in Winnipeg and Manitoba as well. Um, I see disrespect and disregard between people for each other and for the earth. And it just makes me think we need to find a better way of living together. And that's that's what compels me to identify myself as a treaty person uh, and to also understand my identity in relation to everything else around me and that in order for that relation to be good, that it has to be a reciprocal one and one based on deep respect. This coming summer from July 28th to 31st, host and settler peoples from across North America are going to gather in a great event here in Winnipeg the theme is ears to earth, eyes to God, and it references Job 12, which says that if we listen to the animals of the earth, we will learn that even creation knows God is in control. For generations, indigenous people have had a strong relationship with all of creation, the land, the animals, trees, rivers, lakes. Stan, how does this concern to care for and respect for the earth connect with the idea of being a treaty person? Well, as, as treaty people, as people of the land, I think we can share some experiences with those involved in agriculture. I've certainly had conversations with people who are of Mennonite background who live on Manitoba, Manitoba, which is the creator's resting place in our language. And, and I know that they've come to love the land, to recognize that it gives life, to recognize that it is bountiful, and that in, in many, many ways have an interdependence with the quality of life uh, of the very land on which they live that affects their being. So, so I can say as a treaty person, as a person who understands my relationship to the land, to the animals, and to the very air we breathe is somehow the design of the Creator God, then I think we begin to see life more holistically. And I think it's the holistic aspect that uh, we as First Nations people long for. That uh, the idea that even the gospel is anthropocentric, that salvation is about the saving of humans, is, I think, an incomplete understanding of the intention of God the Creator. And so we not only learn from creation, we have a sense of calling to defend the creation from destruction. And the conversations that are happening right now in British Columbia about the pipeline, for instance, is about the very survival of all life on the land, including humans. I like that you said Native peoples long for it. But I also hear white folks say that this is just a romantic vision of nature. 
and that indigenous peoples are equally heavily involved in resource extraction and overconsumption. How do you respond to that? I think we have been conditioned uh, in many, many cases, and many of our leaders have opted for resource development with some uh, low levels of awareness of the impact that may have on future development of, of human and, and other life on the lands. Uh, contamination has become accepted in some of our communities as, as part of growth and development, as we have been taught. But at the very heart of our being, the heart of our language, our way of speaking, uh, we understand that uh, we should only take what we need and of what we have, we must share. A philosophy of life shared with other humans, with other beings, and with the land that we don't uh, exploit and destroy. This next question is for both of you, but I'll ask Stan to respond first. Ears to Earth, Eyes to God, this great gathering that's happening here this summer, is open to Indigenous and non-Indigenous persons. Stan, you're going to be one of the speakers. Why is it important for Indigenous and settler peoples to come together like this? I think there is a, an understanding that, that I've been given from listening to older people and stories and from my culture and from the church that the more we're able to come to understand each other and share our dreams and visions and share our concerns about the land and about our life as people of faith, the more we will grow and the more we will fulfill the, the calling to love one another. That love is possible at many levels, but is possible in terms of holistic embracing of life together only when there's deep understanding and trust. And so I'm excited about the August gatherings because I think it is a, an opportunity to be in conversation, to exchange stories, and to grow in knowledge and wisdom about how life is related for all of us. Melanie, how will you encourage settler people to attend? Well, I, for one, have to say I'm very excited about the Native Assembly, uh, and I will be there. Um, I'm also happy to say that I've seen quite a bit of interest from some of my Euro-American uh, Mennonite friends in attending the Assembly. Um, there are a variety of speakers from different demographics and a really good series of workshops by others who are doing some incredible bridge-building work that will be at the Native Assembly. Everything from theological reflection to community gardening, trauma healing to sustainable resourcing, colonial history, uh, teaching uh, to worshiping together. There's really a wide variety of stuff that will be going on, which means that there are many places for people to connect and to plug into. Um, whether it's your first time at Native Assembly, like it will be for me, or your 10th, I really encourage people to attend. Many Mennonites in North America don't even know that there are Native Mennonites living here. I think there is so much that we can share and learn from each other, especially from our Native sisters and brothers who have lived here in relation with this land much longer than we have. Building bridges can be hard, it can be scary, especially to make oneself vulnerable to others and to our complicity in colonialism. 
but that is part of the path of healing and reconciliation. My hope is that the Mennonite Church can be a leader for truth, justice, and reconciliation between settler and indigenous people in North America. And I think that Native Assembly is a place where we can begin and strengthen a faithful and just covenant treaty relation with each other and with all creation. Melanie, you're also going to be one of the presenters at Native Assembly. What's your topic? My topic will be focusing on the main scripture passage, which is from Job 12. Uh, and I'll be doing my my speaking along with Deanna Zanting, and we'll be talking about uh, this idea of listening to the animals in creation and not only understanding it as a metaphor. Is there going to be a sacred fire? There is. There is. And I've been asked to consider uh, speaking about the reason for that fire being present. And I haven't responded yet as to whether I will be able to do that because there's so many different traditions around the sacred fire among First Peoples. Uh, so I know that my, my friends from Navajo country may not be, agree with what a Cree understands sacred fire to be. So I have to talk with a few people before the assembly to decide how we will do that uh, sharing of understanding. Sounds just like the church. <laughs> it is. It is confusing at times, uh, but it can be resolved through conversation. Stan and Melanie, thank you so much for coming in to talk with me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Mennonite Church Canada will be hosting Native Assembly 2014 on the campus of Canadian Mennonite University from July 28th to 31st. There will be a sacred fire, Stan and Melanie, along with Adrian Jacobs, Judy De Silva, Deanne Zanting, Peter Harrisnape will be presenters. Numerous learning tours will take visitors to historic sites and inner city sites of Indigenous strength. There will be a celebration of wisdom and an opportunity to heal relationships, and everyone is invited to attend. For more details, visit MennoniteChurch.ca. That wraps up today's episode. Join us next month for another edition of Church Matters. Thanks so much for tuning in to Church Matters. We are grateful for each and every listener. To continue hearing Church Matters, please consider supporting this program with a gift to Mennonite Church Canada. To give, just call 1-866-888-6785 or visit MennoniteChurch.ca and click on the donate link. I'm your host, Dan Dick, and know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.